0: You're listening to The Patchwork Girl and Friends. I'm Kendra, and I love having interesting conversations with my friends about art, media, life, the universe, and everything. And that is what this podcast is all about. And we are recording this in... Oh, I guess it's the first week of September, but it's still pretty hot. So, of course, we would choose to watch Balto, which takes place in Alaska for you, Corey.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. The merciful relief of the snow.
0: (laughs) Did you feel better watching this movie?
1: I did, actually. (laughs) I wondered. I, I kind of, as I was watching it, because this was my favorite film as a child, I kind of wondered if that was part of the draw. Like, Mm -hmm. was that part of my draw to Snowy and Cold Places, or was it that I loved Snowy and Cold Places, and that's part of why I loved this film, and its whole aesthetic. But yes, it it made me happy.
0: So, we are discussing Balto today, and man, I grew up with it, you grew up with it. But for anyone else who is not familiar with it, uh, Corey, could you give us a quick synopsis?
1: Oh boy. Well, it is very loosely based on a true story of what's called the Great Mercy Run or the Great Mercy Dash, essentially of a diphtheria outbreak in the town of Nome, Alaska, which occurred in, I want to say, the 1920s. And in a heroic effort to bring antitoxin to this town, teams of sled dogs were employed to carry it because plane and boat basically couldn't reach Gnome in the winter freeze. So this is a version of it where all of the dogs can talk and have polar bear friends <laughs> and brave the elements, bringing the antitoxin to save the kids of this little town. And in the movie, there's just one team.
0: Whereas in real life there were, I believe, 20 teams. It was a relay. It wasn't just, one guy and a bunch of dogs braving six hundred miles of yeah. blizzard. Not to say that they did not face a lot of exciting hardship. Yeah,
1: exactly. The reality of what they faced was uh, intense enough. Thinking of it as one team that magically loses its human musher partway through, and they have <laughs> to like carry him and find their way back. And yeah, I mean, there's there's some. We're, you, I think we're gonna go into it later, but there's some obvious uh, Hollywood stuff in there, which is kind of strange because it doesn't really need that treatment as a story. It's pretty incredible on its own. Um, that's not to say that I don't still really like this film.
0: And I thought we could kind of split it into two parts here because the real story and the Balto story, the movie, are so very different and i enjoy both as even though wow the movie with animated talking dogs and polar bears is not historically accurate <gasps> I, I i still love it so i thought we could just talk about balto as an animated movie and i think even though in the movie it is stated it's based off of a historical event as a kid i never really thought about it much i just it was just another animated movie with talking dogs and now that i'm older now i'm actually more interested in the actual events and uh apparently i actually wanted to ask you this Corey. on disney plus there is a movie called togo Uh have you seen it
1: that was gonna be one of my not so random recommendations actually i love togo and strongly recommend it
0: so and togo is about one of the dogs so both balto and togo were real dogs Mm -hmm. balto was the dog who took the last leg of the relay to get to gnome but togo actually did most of the run and apparently there's a movie about togo on disney plus that i'm going to watch after this podcast (laughs)
1: Yes, please do. It's um, it's a good one. And man, if you think that the Arctic visuals in Balto are good, whew, get these people a drone and set them loose in Alaska, and it is gorgeous. No, I, I really enjoy Togo. Uh, it's it, I won't get into it, because there are a couple of details that it changed to, but it is more historically accurate. Interestingly, Seppala, who is the sled dog uh, musher and trainer in, well, he was, I don't think he's shown in the film, but he was the person who bred and raised both of those dogs. The last leg of the race, Balto was running with a different musher, but he had been set to one side as part of a fresh team by Sepala, and was then like the last leg was run by a family friend of Sepala's. So yeah, Zeppelin is a, he is not only a big name in dog racing, he is the big name in dog racing and responsible for introducing the Siberian Husky to the English speaking world. So I strongly recommend Togo, all that to say. So back
0: to Balto, just tell me about Balto as your favorite kids movie.
1: Well, that title would now go to Megamind. But my favorite kids movie as a kid. For as sure. a kid, yes. Yep. The thing about Balto is I don't remember a time when I hadn't seen it. Like, I have really fond memories of multiple times in my life rewatching it, wandering into someone's room. I lived in like a sort of apartment complex that was very open situ- like a very open floor plan situation and I could wander into people's rooms. And I remember one of my earliest memories is someone had Balto on. And I just sort of wandered into this relative stranger's apartment and sat down and watched it. And later on, my mom's like, what'd you do today? And I'm like, I watched Balto. And she's like, who with? And I'm like, I don't know, but they were watching Balto. Um, (laughs) So And she's like, maybe don't do that again. So that's been part of my relationship with this film. As I've grown up with it, I've noticed different things about it. And some of those have been really great things that I really love and just add to it for me. And some of those have been not so great. Honestly, the Arctic wolves, uh, Arctic wolves were my favorite animals, still are. And I I called them snow wusses as a child. I am informed. But I think a lot of the visuals surrounding the Arctic wolves in the film was just gorgeous. Weirdly, I didn't have a hard time understanding that it was a real event that had happened. And I'm not sure why that is. Maybe the little bit at the beginning with a grandma taking her granddaughter through Central Park to see the Balto statue clued me in. I would say as far as fans go, um, I am a tier two level fan of this whole this whole historical event which sounds bizarre to say about a historical event but i hunted down the balto statue when i was in new york city my priority list for being in new york actually i love, love that yep yeah, got the got the picture with balto i but i have has she's spent time in nome she's read all of the Books, she's like hunted down every bit of information she can find, and is uh she's the person who I went to when I was trying to figure out how accurate the film Togo was. <laughs> so uh-huh. I just asked her, knowing that she would have already spotted any issues. Because I'm like, yeah, no, that that tracks it all seems legit to me. But I will say that as far as watching Balto goes, for me, it went through a few um permutations where at first I'm like oh my gosh, very, very heroic. I'm very happy about this. And then I watched it when I was a little bit older. This is with like 50 watches in between or more. But I watched it later when I was a little bit older and went, oh, this entire thing is about racism. And then watched it when I was a little bit older and went, that was a Dostoevsky reference that they just made. And and I'm so happy with that. And then watched it a little bit older than that and went, um, oh, this is a really heavy handed and kind of clumsily done portrayal of racism. And then most recently watched it this afternoon and went, I still love this film. I still love its aesthetic and what it's saying, but have some beef with representation of women in it, which I would never have expected to say. So You know, went.
0: actually, I felt the same way this time watching it. <laughs> but, but before we get into that, because I'm sure we're going to get into that, but what, why I wanted to separate the movie from the historical event is I feel like the, the goal of the stories are very different.
1: Because obviously
0: yeah. the historical event was literally people sacrificing to save people's lives. Yep. And it's mostly about the humans. <laughs> and in the movie Balto is, I would actually say, about identity. And is not about the humans.
1: The humans I... are a plot
0: device. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're, they're in the background. I would agree, after rewatching it, that it's definitely about identity. Um, I would say that the historical event, however, isn't just about the humans. Like it is, and obviously we have our own human-centric view of things, but if you're looking at like the Balto statue, for example, it is dedicated to the indomitable spirit of the sled dog. So even in the story about, you know, this amazing thing humanity accomplished, it seemed very much as, um, and I would say it's very much this amazing thing that humanity and canines accomplished together. Mm, that's but, a good way yeah, to it. I, I agree that the, uh, the film, I'm, I'm watching it, and it's kind of like, it does a good job for a children's film of exploring a plot point that is basically the death of children. Yes.
0: Yes tastefully too as i i still as a kid and as an adult there is a scene because they they don't just flat out say all these kids are going to die they they say it in a couple different ways of we're going to lose them we're losing hope but the strongest imagery and to me this is what makes it a great film uh in the movie not in the not the actual dog but in the movie the Uh, Balto is half wolf and is dealing with these identity things whatever but he he hears this noise in the town and he goes and he looks and he sees that the carpenter is making something and the carpenter steps back and there's these three little coffins and wow as a kid like that gave me shivers it it tells you exactly the
1: amount of fear you need to have for a children's movie I think (laughs) Yeah, I was actually going to bring up that same scene because that is how I learned what coffins are. Oh, do tell. Again, I have been watching this since it first came out when I think I was about two. So I remember watching the film for probably the two-dozenth time. I'm not the only person in my family who has this memorized at this point, my poor parents. And seeing that there was a lot of weight put on this scene, of this carpenter making something and looking very sad. And I'm, I, I think it was like a little four or five year old me is like, What are those, mommy? <laughs> She's like, Those are coffins. That's what we bury dead people in. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> those are tiny ones. That's a me sized coffin. So I probably traumatized my mom. But yeah, <laughs> it is. It's an incredibly powerful image. And even as I'm re watching it, I think it says a lot about how they did it, that both as a child and as an adult, you can grasp that this is a serious concern. That, you know, these children could die. For a for a kid, the concept of death might not have really come yet, but they understand, I mean, depending on the age, but there's still this understanding of this is very serious. The adults in the room, even if they're, you know, dogs voiced by adults are speaking in hushed tones. They're very concerned. Everyone's talking around the topic, which is very much how people deal with death. When Dr. Curtis Welch, and this is dipping a little bit of reality into the film, I'll try to keep them separate. But when he first suspected that it was diphtheria, the gnome, he tried not to deny or to hide it, but the way he recorded it was essentially you know influenza like symptoms and then once you got a pseudomembrane that developed and it was obvious it was diphtheria it was basically yeah this is diphtheria but it wasn't that he didn't think it could be it was that he was terrified it might be uh-huh. because you can treat things with what you have you know okay he could treat a lot of different conditions but his supply of antitoxin had expired And it was dwindling. So all of that to say that I think the film did an incredible job of capturing the, really the concern and the solemnity in a way that you can resonate with both as a kid and as an adult. Did it like scare you as a kid or, because there are a couple of intense moments in the film.
0: Yes. um, The bear. (laughs) Oh, the bear. I I have this thing in animated movies that uh, size and perspective if they're overblown to a certain point will freak me out and this time I was watching it trying to think would the bear actually be that big we are dealing with dogs here but the the bear seems unusually large and yeah the bear is terrifying and the bear is terrifying it's it's (laughs) do you want to explain what those little jingles are
1: (laughs) Oh, the little jingles. I'm watching my friend Anna's dog, Tesla, appropriately for a Balto episode. So (laughs) Tesla is a very, very good girl, and you're not actually going to hear her barking. Hey, come here. You're not actually going to hear her barking, but you will probably hear her collar jingle as she, like, walks around or scratches. I'm kind of grateful she's joining us for the Balto one. That's very appropriate. What kind of dog is she? Um, Also appropriate for the Balto one. She is a mixed breed. I would say mostly Chocolate Lab. Now, I think Balto
0: is just a good film in its imagery. It is a very pretty film. It does not have the streamlined lines that Disney films had at the time. It's a little rougher. But it is very, very beautiful. Visually, there's a lot of striking moments, uh, especially with the wolves, with the northern quote unquote northern lights. Yeah, <laughs> they they recreate the northern lights in a not a basement, but like in a crawl space, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then you get like the real thing later on. I think the use of color is one of the most striking things in the film. Like, I love how the characters move and emote but the fact that you have a pretty white barren landscape against a gray or light blue sky or bleached white blizzard sky and your main character is a sort of grayish brown. And they make, they, they make these little pops of color like yellow eyes that are very expressive. Or if you have a dog like Steel that has the stark black patterning, they really use those pops of color to tell the story.
0: Also, just a huge kudos to the animators. They really capture dog behavior so well. And there's all these little motions and ear twitches and everything that it's, it's so well animated from just a canine point of view.
1: It is, it's very well done. And for the animals being as human as they are, through the work of the animators and voice actors. It is impressive that it's also like, these are dogs. For very anthropomorphic dogs, I don't think it ever really got too deep into the these are uncomfortably human creatures territory. Uh It wasn't difficult for me as a kid or as an adult to think, well, especially not as a kid, more so as an adult because I'm like, why do they have human social mores? But as a kid to think that, oh, these are dogs. And there's the humans and the societies overlap, but are different.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the characters. I never really thought about it until now. Why are there two random polar bears? I love them. They, they are so <laughs> cute and fluffy and funny and have very little to do do in the plot
1: <laughs> is uh is phil collins one of the polar bears
0: I, he's both actually I actually looked both that's up. what i
1: thought i well, one, yeah i one don't know really i think
0: one, one just kind of goes well <laughs> he, he makes the noises
1: <laughs> i don't know maybe in a film about children dying they thought that they needed some more comedic relief um <laughs> it's 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 you know diphtheria and racism because of how they decided to handle Balto's struggle with his identity. So the, I, I think muck and luck were just sort of like, we'll let Phil Collins play a random polar bear duo. They're they're very fun. What else I, also, yeah, yeah, I go really ahead.
0: enjoy them. I do too. They're they're so cute. And and the goose. Uh something I wanted to point, Yes. I something forest. I just wanted to throw out there because this has been bothering me ever since I started getting into languages I noticed kind of a disturbing trend in American films that evil characters in animated films have Russian
1: accents yes or Slavic or British
0: yes there's there's certain accents where it's like if you hear it in an animated movie it's code for this is a bad person And I found it refreshing and wonderful that even though it was not played by a Russian person, uh, the Russian-accented character in Balto is loving and
1: supportive and just a great character. Oh, and also I has agree. all the best lines. <laughs> he really does. He kind of steals the show as we're watching it as an adult. I've had a few moments because I think Boris is the kind of friend I aspire to be. <laughs> I've had love a few that. moments where I just I just want to look at people and be like, luck. I don't wish you luck. I wish you sense. <laughs> just he's he's the best and he's this incredibly supportive friend and listens to Balto and tries to encourage him, but is also totally willing to say, hey, man, come on, we got to keep moving. I love Boris. He's great. I want to say, is Balto a Don Bluth film?
0: Okay, I thought it was, but it is not, actually. The director is also the director of... Oh, man, I just had this up. It looks like... Um, he did Spirit and he did another one I really like. Uh, Balto is not a Don Bluth film, but it is an amblimation, I think is how you say oh, that.
1: So fable goes west.
0: Uh, that so that's basically Steven Spielberg's animation company. It wasn't around for a long time. Balto was actually the last film, the last animated film uh, made through Amblimation, An American Tale was also part of that group. Ah, the director was Simon Wells, and he also did another one of my favorite ones. He did Prince of Egypt, Oh, he did Spirit, and a couple others. So, okay, so I the, basically
1: love everything this man has done.
0: Do you like we're back a dinosaur story because if you do we might have to do a podcast <laughs> uh
1: never mind wait let me look it up <laughs> i watched a heck of a lot of land before time and sometimes it's hard to separate that from the he, other ones don, up don, until don, jurassic park
0: <laughs> don bluth is the land before time is don bluth nice which is the actual my favorite don bluth song oh
1: I think I did like We're Back. I just also think I forgot it existed.
0: Well, I don't I don't know. If we do a podcast about it, that is one of the movies that absolutely terrified me and has left. I mean, stars. And again,
1: it's totally possible I'm mixing it up with Land Before Time, but the character designs at least look familiar. They um, are I
0: think they had similar, I think that group shared animators because definitely mm-hmm. Balto does have a Don Bluest look, but the story is so cohesive.
1: (laughs) I was going to say that Don Bluth is, um, like, at least part of why I kind of assumed that Balto was um, one of his is because that's one of the few places that I've seen uh, Eastern European culture in an American movie, especially an American cartoon, Uh. any Eastern European culture portrayed at all in a positive light is the kind of Fievel character. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of just went, oh, Boris. Okay, yeah, sure. My favorite Don Bluth film would be Rats of Nym. Is, that is my second favorite. So good. It's so good. So back to Balto before I get off on a... Uh...
0: <laughs> back to Balto. And did you want to talk about the um, female characters?
1: As, so as you alluded to earlier. <laughs> here's the thing. They have this moment, because I do want to give the film some credit. I don't think that it was deliberate. I think it was a blind spot. A really weird blind spot, but a blind spot. Okay, the reason I say I think it's a blind spot is because I think they tried to have Jenna be a fairly empowered female character.
0: Jenna insofar being- as she
1: being the dog uh, of the being little the dog girl who's Baltos love interest yeah
0: and and she it's her owner this little girl who is dying and since Balto is kind of an outcast he doesn't have a human so Jenna is like the the the, the emotional connecting thread to why we want to save the humans in this it, Exactly, it's for movie. his girlfriend um. yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah. Never mind the real story where Seppola's daughter was eight years old and at risk. But no, it's uh that was a, that was an unnecessarily sarcastic comment. I apologize. Um <laughs> mm-hmm. and I say that because there's a scene I say that I think it's a blind spot and that they wanted to do better. Because in the terrifying bear scene, there's a moment where Jenna rushes in, risks her life, gets badly injured, and Balto makes a comment about finding out there's nothing you can't do before sending her home to recover as he goes off on the adventure. I think that that was intended as look how strong and capable and great Jenna is, even though we've boiled her friends down to some pretty lazy stereotypes. But as an adult woman, I can't help but go, hold on a minute. Both male and female dogs are used as sled dogs. Oh yeah. And In fact, I, I,
0: I can't believe um, I never thought about this before. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I know, right?
0: <laughs> so why why is the team made the team of Team is bros? all male.
1: The team is all <laughs> bros. And when you look at the dogs that stay home, they're all female. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I this never is thought honestly about that. watching it this afternoon like prepping for this was the first time that I went hold on a minute that's a weird thing to have because I mean okay just looking at house pets in general my cat is what I would refer to as a fancy boy um like he's adorable (laughs) but he would not last outside and then you know they're they're, it's, it's just ridiculous that we assigned this sort of the men go off and do the big heroic thing and the women stay home and look pretty with the exception of Jenna, who is very brave for one of the female dogs, and then we send her home when she gets herself hurt. I've watched this movie! I don't know how many times! I'm in my late 20s, and I'm just now going, wait a minute, but Mushers actually a female dog as their lead dog because they're lighter and nimble, and why are- wait, wait, why are- why is the whole team- Of, yeah, we're going to go out here and rescue people. Extra dogs. Male. And all of Balto's friends, with the exception of Jenna, are male. They're, okay, apart from the nameless human adults who we don't focus on, there are four female characters I've noticed in the entire thing. One is a little girl who's dying. One is the love interest. And two are, like, just constantly flirting with the antagonist. Well, when you put it like that. See that that would have made for a very different movie
0: if you had like Jenna on the team.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or forget, even it doesn't even necessarily have to be Jenna. You can have the no, whole love be... interest is back there looking after her person, but if she had right. like some non-toxic friends who were on the team, <laughs> even <Michael laughs> and Morris are all male. <laughs> no, that's, I'm just going, wait, why? Why must this be this way? I'm so confused because you would think that a, slot, a actual sled dog team with all of these random characters whose only role is to, you know, first be opposed to Balto because of his identity and then warm up to him. I mean, at least give me a token, a token female sled dog on that team. It- <laughs> I can't believe I'm asking for a token female character. But okay. it's just so bizarre to me that I didn't see this and I didn't notice this, that all of the working dogs are male and all of the dogs that are pampered and stay home are female. And that's just not reality. That wasn't reality in Alaska then, and it's not reality in Alaska now. One third of the world's like preeminent mushers at the moment, this is talking about the humans, not the dogs, are women. Mm-hmm. It's to think that anyone could really be pampered and living in a harsh environment <laughs> is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. That I think that is kind of what struck me this time. Um I did not notice the whole there are no females on any of the the, the teams. What I yeah. did notice though is Jenna's friends quote oh quote are terrible and they're like these pampered they're not even they're not like she is a, uh, a type of husky I believe yeah and they're I, I, one is an afghan and one is I don't know what the little one is almost like a
1: poodle or something and the it's like looks like a cross between a dog and a show cat but good yeah it's not possible nice, obsver- so. <laughs> nice observation
0: but it, I it did strike me this time looking at going what are these two doing in alaska <laughs>
1: <laughs> dying that's what they're doing in
0: alaska. okay so this yeah. is just a random thing but something i i did like i i did actually like how the humans very few of their faces are shown those they're not very memorable when they do show the faces but all of the humans do look kind of tough like they could, yeah. they could be in Alaska. Which then makes the, the dogs even worse. Like, who owns
1: those two prissy dogs? <laughs> exactly.
0: Like, you're looking around this town.
1: <laughs> you're looking around this town and going, okay, all of these people, you know, regardless of gender, look like they work hard and look like they recognize how serious the situation is. So where did these two... Terrible stereotypes of American <laughs> women come from,
0: right? Because they also have—do they have Boston accents? What kind of accent I, is okay, that? Okay,
1: one of them has like an imitation Boston accent. I—I I want to say yeah. Okay, I—I also not... don't want to offend the people of Boston. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The there is an accent, Jenna doesn't have an accent, and they do, and it's well, she does,
1: but she has the plains accent that you or I would have.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm bad. I, I say, I have no accent. No, 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 it's true. I (laughs) technically know this is true, I just forget it because I think everyone is like me. But (laughs) that is actually something I, I am nitpicking about movies these days, specifically animated films, is when an accent is used as shorthand to convey a character. And the same thing with yeah. these two female dogs is there's they'd have a different accent than Jenna. It's obviously not like an Alaskan or indigenous
1: accent. No. So
0: they sound like city slickers. That's and,
1: that's exactly yeah. It's and it's
0: it's again this is not urban. a slur on people who actually have those accents. It's I disagree with the choice of using that accent. To portray yeah. a character
1: no they do they sound they sound like city slickers and and this is coming from me as a city slicker who also lives rurally on occasion like it it sounds like a bad stereotype of what a rich person who's had a pretty luxurious existence from a city would live like i i don't know and you don't exactly hear it on any of the other dogs on the one hand i don't want to beat them up for it too much and on the other hand i do at least mention it because that was one of those come on guys do better and i I get the impression they wanted to do better i feel Mm -hmm. like they wanted jenna to be a strong female co-protagonist as well as a love interest and that's why they had her like fight the bear and stuff but it's just weird it's a weird hollywood lens to look at a situation That realistically, if we're just talking about the dogs, would have been about half male and half female and represented both in the dogs that were like more pets and the dogs, though I don't think there would have been many of them at the time, I could be wrong, and the dogs that were more the working dogs. And I could be wrong about this, but in some ways to avoid with Boris is that they Mm -hmm. managed to have him be a Russian goose, give him this accent, but... He's like an incredibly loving and caring and supportive friend and cracks jokes all the time and is like funny but sarcastic and isn't just a one-note character.
0: Right, because there's also depth to Boris. I'm, I'm thinking of other – sorry, folks. I, I kind of derailed this into Kendra's nitpicking of accents in, in, <laughs> in animated an Oh, I'm here films, for it. But side characters – tend to have accents more than main characters. And I don't know. I feel like Boris transcends the usual sidekick
1: role. That's fair. He doesn't seem like Balto's sidekick. He seems like Balto's friend. Right. And in a film where, you know, they really set this character up with some rough stuff to deal with that the uh, real-life Balto would not have had to deal with, much less on an existentialist level. But he kind of needed for a plot that they decided in a lot of ways to focus on race and identity, which still kind of trying to figure out what made them make that decision for this particular film. But yeah, it it feels like with all that they gave Balto to process and all of the just abuse hurled at him for the first part of the film, he kind of needed someone who could just listen and be upset for him and with him. And also try to be an encouragement. But you can see he doesn't always know how. It's, it's just a lot of depth to expect from an animated goose with a fake Russian accent. I know. Let's talk more about that identity
0: thing. At this time watching, the identity struggle impacted me more this time watching than it ever has before. And I liked that. And Boris actually says it, uh, not a dog, not a wolf, who is he? And then it's never like he has to choose because then at the end, Boris also says, you're not a dog, you're not a wolf, you're a hero of like finding this third way. And I I have friends who are like third culture kids or their parents are of two different nationalities. And we talk a lot about identity and who are you and you're, you're this, you're kind of this, and you're kind of that, but you're not fully one or the other. So what are you? And, and having to find like that third way. So identity. Identity is a big part of Balto's story. And I don't know, Corey. Do you want to go into more of that?
1: <laughs> oh, throw me under the bus, why don't you? Um, <laughs> <I'm coming. laughs> I was walking away for some chips. Um, yes, the identity stuff is complicated, and I want—that's why I don't want to just, you know, totally hate on Balto for this—is because I do want films to explore that. I would like to, them to explore it with a little bit more nuance. And preferably not just through the medium of heavy-handed dog racism. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But as a little girl, at least, and specifically as a little, you know, Anglo-American girl, you know, things like Balto were at least an introduction for me of the idea that certain people have been treated poorly Mm -hmm. as a result of their heritage. Um, Mm -hmm. That, you know... That was a concept that was a difficult one to grasp as a little kid who's living in like, I was in a fairly diverse and basically just had this kind of attitude from my teachers that I think a lot of 90s kids in America probably had of, well, okay, I think a lot of white 90s kids in America probably had of, oh, racism is a very bad thing that we don't do anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I would so, do that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so from that background, I, this film was probably helpful for opening my eyes to, oh, some people treat other people different and don't do that. But as an adult, uh, I feel like if I were ever to have kids and show them this movie, to have a more nuanced conversation with them, than how this movie handled it. I don't love that the wolves were like, I love the wolves. They are gorgeous, but I don't love that they're exoticized to the point where it's like, oh yeah, he has this one cultural background that's normal. And you know, that everyone around him has, and then he has another cultural background that gives him mystic powers. I don't think that's great. Mm -mm. No, I agree. Um, But I do want to see like, because even though it's in a very different and very privileged way, I have been a third culture kid and do want to see like issues of identity and culture and heritage and belonging. And what does this mean really explored um, in any piece of media? Mm -hmm. It's just, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with Balto is that on the one hand, it was probably helpful for me as a kid. And on the other hand, I with some of how it's handled so it's a it's a duality but there you go
0: i feel like a lot of imperfect stories and let's face it a lot of uh, you know a children's animated film about starring animals about a historic uh event is uh, has a very limited lens but i feel like those kinds of movies are an okay starting point. I feel like what you said about it introduces the idea. And I I think that can be on multiple levels of it introduces the idea of having racism and mixed heritage as just a concept or even on a very basic level this historical event like that's kind of how newsies was newsies is a really fluffy piece about a really serious thing that actually happened but i never would have understood more about the actual event if it wasn't for the fluffy kids piece so i feel like there is some value in these types of movies where it's it's not an end point but it's a good starting point and, and with watching it with kids, it can open up a lot of discussion where it's, it doesn't start and end there. It just starts there.
1: I would love to hear, like, different people's experience with the film, what they thought of it or felt of it growing up.
0: Well, I want to talk about something that's not about his main conflict, but just something that I noticed this time around that I really liked and it has been it's a scene that has always stuck with me and i think it's a lesson in filmmaking that i wish modern filmmakers would do more and that is balto makes mistakes and oh. i've i've noticed this in some modern films where the hero or especially when it's a female protagonist they don't make any mistakes. And the, the conflict is mostly emotional or ex- outside of themselves uh, in, in like, they have to wrestle with something that has been done to them, not something that they do. for some reason that just doesn't resonate with me as a viewer because I make a lot of mistakes The the contrast between Balto and the villain is that the villain is very self-centered and seeks attention and always wants to be in control. And I, I just thought it was a really great filmmaking point when Balto, through a series of events, was not on the team to get the medicine, but... Then the team gets lost. Balto goes to find them. And now he's leading them back. And the antagonist has marked up all these trees so that the the way is now confused. And Balto doesn't – his plan is not working. And he, he actually starts showing some of the traits that the antagonist shows. Is He, he doesn't yeah. listen to other pe- people. He doesn't listen to the other dogs who are asking questions, should we be going this way? He, he becomes super overconfident and just rushes ahead and makes a very, very bad mistake. And uh, it's kind of overdramatic, but ends up falling off a cliff with the medicine. Yeah. <laughs> and while that, that's kind of over the top,
1: I, allowed really, to
0: I really, really like it. Because then he has to face what he has done. And he let, how his actions have led him to this really bad place. And then he has to get out of it. And I just love that. And I feel like that is something that's not shown as much in movies these days. I don't know why. But I, I like it when the protagonist makes big mistakes that affect them and other people. And they have to deal with the consequences of that. That
1: means something to me as a viewer. Even as a kid, seeing the character who you're supposed to most closely relate to and who's the hero of the story, look concerned, look confused, um, behave unfairly towards the people around him. I think as a kid, what it did is really hammered home for me at the end of the day, just what a victory it felt like at the end when, you know, he crests the hill with the entire sled dog team and they're, they're operating as a team. And it's, yeah, it it reinforces it because it's not just, Oh, well, of course he's the hero. He'll save the day. Like he does, he is unsure. He does make poor decisions when he's under pressure sometimes. So I, I agree. I think there's something really valuable in that. What I love about this story, um, I love the visuals. I I love the James Horner music and that I, know, I know who that is. Thanks, Kendra. Um,
0: <laughs> hey, it's one of his. it is one of his best. That this is, so is what James Horner does well. He does big, sweeping, beautiful music for first stories that that I think the music elevates this movie honestly it takes it to another level
1: we we agree Okay.
0: (laughs) why do we always end up talking about James Horner
1: (laughs) you you only have me talk with you about James Horner films Um, no that's not true (laughs) (laughs) I think that just the true event when I watch this film and there's always the moment at the end that the dog's Come over the crest of the hill into Nome, and it looks like they're flying. And every light in the town comes on, and everyone streams out. I love that. I love that moment, and I love that moment for a telling of this true story. Whatever other criticisms I might have, and honestly, I'm I'm so far beyond criticizing this for historical inaccuracy. Oh,
0: it's, yeah, no, but that moment. <laughs>
1: That moment, I feel like they captured the spirit of why the entire nation was watching media coverage in 1925, of how there were people all over the world who were thinking and praying of the children and, oh my gosh, I'm getting teary-eyed. There is so much mess in history and in history of medicine, in history of Western medicine, I've taken these classes. I've heard about the horrifying things we've done. And there are so few moments that are just truly good and truly capture the idea of what we want to do as a society when we're looking out for the people around us. And that for me, the great diphtheria run just has gotten me ever since I was a kid and still does of these people went out in the cold and the snow and dealt with frostbite and danger to their dogs, and their dogs were their entire livelihoods, and they're doing this incredibly dangerous thing to try to help these kids. So at the end of the day, all, you know, real life Balto being the lead dog who's musher snatched the glory potentially all question or controversy or thought of that ultimately what it comes down to is a group of humans prioritizing the lives around them to the point that they were willing to risk their own lives and that just gets me Mm -hmm. it's heroic it gets me it is
0: and now it's time for random recommendations.
1: As I mentioned earlier, I do recommend the film Togo. Please go and watch it. It's just a delight. The other thing is that if you're curious, uh, you or anyone else, about the like actual contents of those glowing gold vials, uh, Sawbones did a very good podcast episode on Balto. And in it, they talk about the development of the antitoxin and the whole events, as well as some of the controversy uh, with the Iditarod. And it's a good listen.
0: Cool. And I will have a link to that podcast in the description.
1: I'm going to go in for an eco-friendly closing thought for everyone since this was a human-dog feel-good film that I was watching with Tesla. And that's that. I think that there... While there are so many just horrifying realities in this world that we have to face, there are also some really good moments and ideas. And the whole working with the environment around them, I love that. I love that it's the partnership between humans and dogs to help these people. Go watch Togo. It's good. You can read up on the editor out if you like. Those are really rambling closing thoughts, but... There you go. It's a feel-good movie. It's a feel-good historical event. And I feel like even any controversy around what dog did what boils down more to the fact that Sepala loved his dogs and loved Mm. Togo. And Mm -hmm. wanted Togo to get credit for all that was done. In closing, there have been much worse historical events. I I really love this one. This Mm. one worked out. Well, thank you, Corey, for revisiting a childhood favorite. Thank you, Kendra, for being willing to revisit, you know, one of my childhood favorites and one that you have also watched many, many times. Many, many times. (laughs)
0: Thank you so much for listening to The Patchwork Girl and Friends. I hope you enjoy the artwork I make for each and every episode, which you can see on social media like Instagram and Facebook. You can support the podcast on Patreon, and don't forget to send me a random quote using the Anchor app. Next time on The Patchwork Girl and Friends. Hi, I'm
1: Bethany, and we're going to be talking about a YouTuber called Joel Haver and his movie, Pretend That You Love Me.